Have you heard, ever heard the phrase used? You're just like a bull in a china shop. Ever, ever heard that phrase? When I was a kid, people used to say it was like a bull in a china shop. And probably they were somewhat justified because there were occasions that landed up looking like this. I grew up over at First Baptist Church of Sudbury, and I remember a time when we were messing around in one of the hallways after church or whatever, and this kid jumped up on my back, and I banged him up against the wall so hard that he went right through the sheetrock. And um, so I was like 15, so they just gave me the sheetrock to fix it, except for it was this old warp stuff, you know. And I got it up there, and I'd never mudded before whatever, and you can still see, I think, that, that there's this bull in a china shop right over the top of it, you know. You know, my motto was, if it didn't fit, just hit it harder. You can make it fit. And so get, you can get a reputation of being a bull in a china shop. But I'd submit to you that sometimes being a bull is appropriate. If you're trying to have a rodeo, it's pretty appropriate to have a big bull. Or if you're trying to test your courage with the running of the bulls, it's appropriate to be a bull. And I, I would tell you there was times it was appropriate for me to be a bull. When I was playing football, the harder you hit them, the better off. When I was playing lacrosse, the harder you whacked them, the better you were off. See, if you could get their hand to swell, they couldn't grab the stick as hard, you know, and all that kind of, you know, so you, it's just there's times when it just fits, right? And you're probably sitting there thinking, what in the world are you talking about? This is supposed to be a Christmas message. What in the world are you talking about? Well, I'm going to get to that point in just a minute. But let's read our foundational text first, okay? If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 1 with me. John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find a, a, a Bible right underneath your chair, either just below you or the one in front of you. And, and our text today is, is on page 899. This is John's version of the Christmas story. As I've said throughout the series, there's no shepherds, no angels, no manger, no Joseph, no Mary, no wise men, but it's John's version of the Christmas story. And we've been learning some great things from this text about what Christmas reveals to us about God. Beginning with the first verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him. And that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all, all might believe through him. He, was, he wasn't the light, he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. And he came to his own, a reference to the Jewish people. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word, it's a reference to Jesus, became flesh 
and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one of whom I said, The one coming after me has surpassed me, because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For although the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen the seen God, the one and only Son, the one who is at the Father's side. He has revealed Him. He's revealed Him to us. Now, we've been working through a series about what Christmas teaches us about God. What what can we learn about God? And we've we've had a particular slant to it. We understand that the invitation to receive Christ is an invitation for us to put our lives in God's hands. In fact, that's a message we've been hearing for months as a church. God has been talking to us from his word about allowing our hearts to be compelled with the things that compel his heart, about reaching people with the good news, getting them connected to the body of Christ, you know, to, to grow into the image and the fullness of the stature of Christ, to, to serve people in God's name. God's been asking us to do those things. And he's saying, put your life in my hands. Then God started talking to us about allowing him to do greater things, to do greater works than he's ever done before, and to do those through us. And he's asked us to put his, our lives in his hands. And here in Christmas, we see that particular call for us to put our lives into the hands of God, to receive him, and to build our lives around him. And we've been asking the question, well, if we're going to put our lives into the hands of God, then what are those hands like? What, what's God like? You know, and that seems to be a fair question. Before I kind of turn over control and responsibility and stewardship for my life to God, well, what do I really know about this God? And so we've been looking at some things that the Scripture teaches us about who God is from the Christmas story. The very first thing we looked at was that God is faithful. This word true that we saw, that Jesus was, you know, revealed to us, it was full of grace and truth. This idea of truth, or being true, is, it really has the idea of faithful, that God is always faithful to who, who he is. He's faithful to his character, to his nature, to his purpose. God's always faithful to his word, to his promises. God always is faithful to himself. And with that, it allows him to be God because he doesn't change. He's not going to be different tomorrow than he is today. And with that, he's, he's God. He's the same. And so at this core, is we have the faithfulness of God. And God says, I'm always the same. And he says, put your life in my hands. Put your life in my hands. Well, then we started asking the question, well, okay, God's faithful. And he tells us he loves us. And so he's faithful to that. But what, what can he really do for us? No, it's one thing for God to make a promise to us, I'm going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. It's a whole different thing if he can't protect us from our enemies and they're going to come in and steal the food off the table. And so the second thing we saw, that God is sovereign. He's in control. He's all-powerful. You know, what he says goes because God is sovereign. He created all things. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it because God's at the top of the heap. God is in control. He's sovereign. He's in control. And so he says, there's nothing outside of my power. Put your life in my hands. Put your life in my hands. But it seems fair to ask this question. 
If God's all-powerful, if God's a bull, does God know how to use that power? Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's one thing you could have a person who's just a, a skilled surgeon. But if they operate on the wrong knee, it really doesn't do a whole lot of good for you, does it? I mean, so if God's all-powerful, but God doesn't know how to work in our lives, he's like a bull in a china shop, it might create some questions for us as to whether or not we should place our lives in his hands. And so the truth we look at today is that what Christmas teaches us about God is that God is ultimately always wise. He he knows what to do with the power that he has. He always knows to do what is best. Now, it's a fair question to ask, at least I think it is, to say, how in the world do you get the wisdom of God from the Christmas story? How do you get the wisdom of God from the Christmas story? Again, here's a guy who says, I'm always faithful, and I've told you that I'm always for you, I'm always going to work for good. I've told you that I'm all-powerful, and I can do everything. My plan is going to come to pass 100% perfect. And now he's saying, I'm wise. I know exactly how to get this done. I never make a mistake. I'm perfectly wise. Put your life in my hands. Put your life in my hands. Well, how do we get that from the Christmas story? And to tell you the truth, you kind of have to move beyond John chapter 1. But it's interesting that Paul, who was really probably the theologian of the New Testament, it was his conviction, inspired by God, that the Christmas event was the event, the life crisis was the, the event that pulled back the curtains on the wisdom of God that had been hid for all the ages. It was literally the birth the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ that pulled back the curtains and showed the wisdom of God that he had kept hidden for all the centuries through creation. Just look over at Ephesians chapter 3 with me. Ephesians chapter 3, just a few books further back in your New Testament. If you're using one of our few Bibles, this is page 995. Just want to look at a few verses here to make the connection between Christmas and wisdom. So you don't think I'm loony and not just really kind of staying, staying with the theme. Well, I want to read verses 8 through 11 for you. He says, this, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, a church that he had planted, a church that he had spent a lot of time with, a church that he had a lot of connection with, familiarity. This is what he says, this was the grace given to me. In other words, this is a gift that God gave me, the least of all the saints, because he had been a persecutor of the church. He says, He gave me the grace to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah. Okay? So he got the blessing of being able to proclaim to those who have been outside the promises of God the grace of God available in Jesus Christ. And he said, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages. Now, what was that mystery that was hidden for all ages um, in God who created all things? He says, it was... This is so that the multifaceted wisdom may now be made known. What was hidden, this administration, the way God was working thing, hid God's wisdom. And it's that wisdom in verse 11 that is according to the purpose of the ages which he made in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. It was in Christmas that God finally pulled back the curtains on what had been his plan before he spoke the first molecule into existence 
that this is the way I'm going to redeem my creation and reconcile it to myself. And God's wisdom, God's plan for all that had been hidden through the ages. But now in Jesus Christ, God has opened it up. And when the Son of God in flesh drew his first breath in that manger, the wisdom of God was displayed. Because it was God's plan was opened up. In fact, it goes so far that in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that, that as we embrace Christ, we literally come to have the wisdom of God within us. He shows us how to live life as we receive this gift that we receive in Christmas. So what is this wisdom that's been revealed to us in Christmas? That this is what God has always been, had always been planning to do through all the centuries was to step into human history, intervene, and do for us what we can never do for ourselves, which is to provide a sacrifice that can be a satisfaction of God's justice and holiness for all eternity. What's this, what is this wisdom? You know, sometimes we want to think of wisdom as, as just kind of being the perspective that comes with old age, right? You know, that somehow or another, as you get older, you just get wiser. Hopefully that's true. I'm still waiting for the evidence in the, of that in my life. It hasn't quite happened yet, but maybe you already sensed that. I mean, I have to admit, I no longer, like when I was 10 years old, rush out to try to get the front seat before my siblings, so I'll go out to the car 15 minutes before we were leaving. I no longer care. As long as I'm sitting in the car, you know, I don't care. care. I'm not really getting, you know, we, we, we develop perspective with wage, right? Sometimes we think about wisdom as just being the accumulation of knowledge, that those who know more than us are wiser than us. You know, how many of us, when we have a computer problem, first thing we do is pick up the phone and call somebody who knows more about computers than us, right? You know, we want to get that free tech service, you know, and, 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 and that kind of thing. But that's not what the Scripture's talking about when it talks about wisdom. It's when it's talking about godly wisdom. Now, I have a hard enough time with English, but I'm going to try to teach you a little Greek here for a couple of minutes. Because the New Testament uses three different words for wisdom in the New Testament using the Greek language. One of those words is the word Sophia. It's a word we get wisdom. And, you know, actually, Sophia is kind of at the heart of the word philosophy, that S-O-P-H. Instead of being I-A, it's Y at the end. It's the study of knowledge. Now, Sophia was, was used by the Greeks to kind of refer to the, to the ability to be able to kind of see beneath the surface and understand, to perceive what was really happening, to have a, a sense to be able to comprehend what was going on. And Certainly, it was somewhat related to the scientific side, but it was much more in terms of the nature of life or what's going on with people. For example, they would have used this word. Let's just say Christina was a really angry person, okay? She's not, but just say she's a really angry person. Some people look at it and say, you know what? She's just mean. She's just mean. I had this guy that I served with at the Baptist Convention in New England, an older guy. He was close to retirement. His wife was just a sweet lady. But every time I said, well, Bob, how's Susan doing? She'd go, he'd say, she's mean as a snake. You know, he'd say, that's what he'd say every single time, you know. I mean, sometimes we could just look at this person's anger and just say, they're just mean. But Sophia would look at it and say, the reason this person is angry is because they're hurt. They're hurt. And to be able to kind of see beneath the surface and understand, to perceive what was going on, was the idea of Sophia. This wisdom that allowed you to not just to see the surface things, but to understand what was going on. Now, the next word kind of flows out of this. That, that's the word pronesis. And this word was, was used by the, the Greeks to, and in the New Testament to kind of refer to once you kind of know what's going on, 
It was the ability to be able to understand what you should do in response to what's going on. Okay? And so it was, it was this, this insight, if you will, to be able to know how to react to the circumstances. So going back to the example, you know, Christina's angry, you know, and I, I, could, you know, I could just respond with a word, you know, that's not, I mean, if I had, if I understand that she's hurting, that doesn't necessarily mean my words always reflect that I understand that, right? You know, I, I went on a, a cruise earlier this year with, with all my siblings. One of my prayers as we went was that there would be no blow-ups, you know? You guys ever have some of those prayers when you go, we're a very close family, but we're all type A's, you know, and we all want to finish first and et cetera. So, you know, I'm saying, I, I don't want to have any blow-ups, right? And lo and behold, that was my prayer, and then I turned out to be the one who just let something go. They just kind of, you know, it's like, there you go, you know. No pronesis in him at all, you know. I mean, you can understand the dynamics, what's going on, and, and yet in the moment I just couldn't react in accordance with what I knew because I lacked pronesis. Any of you guys ever have that problem? Most of you wives think your husband has exactly that problem, you know. Uh, you know, um, now, when you take those two, when you take Sophia and Pronesis and mix them together, you come up with Sunesis. That's the last word. And that's the word that's really used to refer to God's wisdom. In fact, Romans tells us God is the only wise God. You know, and this is, so you think about this. God is faithful. God is sovereign. And now in his wisdom, he's be able to look in. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows what every single atom in your body is doing. And every single atom in my body. And everybody else's all around the world. God knows exactly you know, what, what the decisions that were made 50 years ago, how they were going to affect today. And he knows how they're going to affect 100 years from today. God, God's got, and he knows it all perfectly. And he knows exactly what to do. He never needs a plan B. Because God always understands what plan A is and is able to react in accordance with plan A. That's, that's what godly wisdom is. That God's able to see the real nature of things, know exactly how to respond, and then he does respond in accordance with that understanding and plan. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? You know, see, a lot of times we're, we're kind of stuck in a place where we're like, I, you know, I got to make a decision here, but I don't know what all the consequences of those are going to be. And we, and we feel our limitations. I, I remember when Christina and I were, were moving to this area of Massachusetts. Uh, I've been pastoring down the South Shore. I had taken a role with the Baptist Convention in New England and Northboro in 1994, and we were looking for a house. And originally, we didn't see eye to eye on the house that we want. I, I wanted a brand new colonial over in Clinton, close to the fishing pond across the street, right around the corner from the fields, not too far from the high school and the middle school, brand new, and it had a two-car garage. I would kill for a two-car garage. I could count on one hand the number of nights a car has spent in our garage on, on Beeman Road. You know, and, and so, I mean, I was all in favor of this house, and it was the exact same price as the one in Sterling. Brand new, we should buy this, right? The only problem was that it had a well. And across the street was a capped landfill. And my wife said, I'm not going to drink the water. I'm not going to shower in it. <laughs> so I'm thinking I could invest in a water company, whatever. You know, so we just bought the house in Sterling. You know, and, and there was a piece of it. I got on board with it, all kind of stuff. And, you know, but I got to tell you, there was no understanding that 
Ten years after that, God would use us somehow to be a part of launching Hope Chapel or coming to meet any of you people. You know, I, I don't understand, but God knows all that stuff. He, he can see it. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knows what's going on in my heart. He knows what makes us tick. He knows exactly what every aspect of what he's going to do in our lives, all the constants, as far back as you go, as far he knows it all. And there's never any certainty to it because God is wise. And Christmas shows us that God works it all out. I mean, you could ask questions during the time of the patriarchs. God, what in the world are you doing? You could ask time during the days of Moses and the formation of the people and their rebellion in the wilderness. God, what in the world are you doing? Time of the judges, what in the world are you doing? God, during the times of the monarchs, what in the world are you doing? Through the 400 years of silence before the Messiah was born, what in the world are you doing? And then Christmas comes and God's, God shows, I knew what I was doing all the way along. Because I'm wise. Put your life in my hands. So how do you respond to God's wisdom? What should be our response? As Christmas reveals that God was wise and he knew exactly how to unfold the plan of redemption for all eternity, how should you and I respond? Well, the fir first thing I want to give you is a, is a very deep theological reaction. And, and that is just, you and I should have a sense of just wow. Just wow. You know, now, I was being somewhat facetious there with the deep theological terms. The, the Bible might use the word, the fact that we should, we should have a fear of God. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. You know, the church might use the word reverence. But, you know, I, I think that when you look at the story of Joseph, you look at the story of Mary, you look at the story of the, the shepherds and the wise men and just flowing right on down, what you see is these people who just had a wow. And how, you know how that wow factor manifested itself in their lives? Is that they had an unshakable bias to follow God. The way you and I can tell whether we are responding to God's wisdom with the wow factor, it just simply ask ourselves the question, is the natural inclination of my life to follow God? To follow God. And, and if it is, then we've got the wow factor. But if it's, well, I'll just kind of do life my way until I get it really messed up, and then I'll come back, and God will do some triage, and then I'll go do my life my way, and I'll come back, and God will do some triage. That's not the wow factor. You're, you're not living with God's wisdom. God says, put your life in my hands because I am wise. Secondly, I, I think you and I, we just need to seek it. We need to seek God's wisdom. Just seek it. Now, I, I told the first service, you know, you know, if we're honest, there are many times we have to make decisions, and we're not 100% absolutely convinced which is God's will and which isn't. The house in Clinton or the house in Sterling. But you know what? That doesn't really bother me. Because if we're seeking God's wisdom, he's going to give it to us. And even when we're not sure we've actually landed on it, God still takes care of us. You know, the, 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 the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth trying to find the heart that he can just fully support. You know, and if we're seeking God, the rest of it's going to take care of itself. You know, and, and part of it is you need to seek God in his word. You know, Paul told Timothy, he said, you know what? It is the sacred scriptures 
that are able to guide you into all wisdom. And they've been doing so since childhood, so don't, so don't mess that up. Keep looking at the Word. You know, I, I'm always amazed at, at, the, at the resource that God has given us and how little attention that even the believers can give to the Word of God. I used this illustration with the first service, and I don't know how well it works, but it works for me. Imagine you're getting ready to take your family on a long cross-country trip. And so you're doing an evaluation of your car, and, it dawn, and, and you recognize, i got to replace the brakes. If I don't replace the brakes in this car, we're, we're going to land up in an accident. So lo and behold, there's nobody who can fix your brakes. So you say, I'm going to fix them. So you go down to the auto parts store, you buy, buy all the parts that you need, and you buy a manual that's this thick. Show you every single step. You get home, you know, and you get... You, you know, you get the car up in jacks, you pull the tires off, and you're ready to start dismantling, and you're looking at this big book, and you say, eh, I'm not going to follow the manual. I'll just do this on my own. Because you're thinking in the back of your mind, you know, there's going to be guardrails out there. We're not going to go over the cliff. We'll just hit the guardrail if the brakes don't work, right? I mean, I, I mean you know, but that's what we do spiritually, right? Instead of following the manual, you say, I'll just live life, and we'll just bounce off the guardrails. You know, and... And we've got to find God's wisdom in the Word. We've got to seek it. You know, and then, and then James says, you know what, if any of you lacks wisdom, verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, just ask God and He'll give it to you. He's eager to give it to you generously. We just need to seek it. Find it in God's Word. Ask it. You know, there, there are times when we just need to offer a prayer and say, God, I'm stupid. Give me your wisdom. When was the last time you prayed that prayer? God, I'm stupid. Just give me your wisdom. You know what we usually do? We say, God, this is I've decided. This is what I'm going to do. Can you bless it? God, I got it all worked out. Here's my plan. And, you know, it's a, just bless this, will you? I mean, we, we don't, we, that's, that's the way we usually, God, God says, no, 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 no. Just say, I'm stupid, God. I need your wisdom. And he's ready to give it. He's ready to give it. We need to seek it. Then lastly, we just need to see God's wisdom in Christmas. We just need to see God's, God's wisdom in Christmas. You know, Paula talked about just a few minutes ago where she had an with, encounter with God. You know, we, we just need, in a response to God's wisdom, to say, you know what? What Christmas tells us is there's absolutely no way that I can save myself. There's nothing I can do. I can't be smart enough. I can't be consistent enough. I can't be righteous enough. I can't be there. There's nothing that I can do to save myself. And we need to see in Christmas God's wisdom related to the plan of salvation for our lives. That in the manger laid the one who had come to give his life as a ransom for many. And we need to accept that gift. We need to acknowledge before God, you know what? God, I, I, I can't ever be perfect enough. You know, even if I were to live my life perfectly from this moment forward, there's some stuff in my rearview mirror that I can't go back and change. I, I, I can never, ever be good enough to make it into heaven. And God, you know what? I, I, we just need to admit that we need a Savior. We need to admit that we actually, uh, that the reason why Jesus needed to come in the first place applies to us, that we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And we need to believe that God has provided us that 
Savior in Jesus Christ. And even though we may not know exactly how it is, that we're, what it means to walk with God and believe and all that kind of stuff, to the best of our ability in this moment in time, we're committed to walking in faith in Christ. Living with God's wisdom instead of our wisdom. We need to see in Christmas the wisdom of God for our lives and for our salvation. God says, I'm faithful, I'm sovereign, I'm wise. Put your life in my hands. Let's put our lives in God's hands. Let's pray together. We always anticipate that there would be some in our services who've never really had that encounter with God that Paul has talked about. Never had a moment where they really received the gift of eternal life that God made available through his son who was born on Christmas Day. And if you're ready to take that step, you, you can just pray along silently in your own heart and mind the words that I'm going to pray right now. And you can have that encounter. And if you do, I encourage you just to check off in the back of your connection card that you choose to become a follower of Christ or to seek me out before you leave today. But you can just pray this prayer. God, thanks for the gift of Jesus and Christmas. I confess to you I need a Savior. because I'm a sinner who needs to be forgiven. I ask you to forgive me through Jesus. And Father, I trust in you for that forgiveness. God, I may not know all that it means, but I commit to trust in you and to living my life with you and for you through faith in Jesus Christ. And this I pray in his name. Amen.